Hello, everybody, and this is Mark McCormack. You are listening to Strung Out. Guess what? 29 podcasts so far. And uh, I have with me today a guest that I've known for a long time, about 45 years. Grew up with this guy. And I wanted to bring him on in light of everything that's been going on in the background this week. Um, and unless you've been living under a rock, uh, you will notice that there was a bunch of people that stormed Capitol Building. And uh, it just plays into this whole background that's uh, going on over the last four years, not only with uh, Trump, but also recently with COVID. And there's been a lot of people affected by both. And they've started making changes to their lives that once we get out of either thing, these changes will be setting the course in a new direction. I thought I could come up with some sort of pithy word, a combination of COVID and transformation, but I'm throwing my hands up in the air. It's just basically people that are making a difference and a change in their lives during an unprecedented, stressful time. So, the person that I chose, my friend here for 45 years, Dave Huvelman. Uh, David is a councilman for the city of Norwalk, Connecticut. Didn't start out that way, but I'm going to let him tell you in his own words. Welcome, Dave. Great to have you. Marty, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here. And, you know, even though we've known each other for 45 years, I'm honored to be the 29th uh, uh, guest on your, on your podcast, Strung Out, um, especially because I still believe that's my age. So. <laughs> well, it is. Uh, you know. <laughs> in my heart, always. In my heart, always. You know, uh, that's a dangerous thing, though, these days. There's certain politicians that are delusional and... Uh, <laughs> But you're not one. Well, of them. I'm I'm not a um, I'm not a politician by trade, so uh, uh, that's uh, that's an interesting that's an interesting thing. Um, you know, I I came to I, I I came to politics early on in my life, always. I mean, and was you know active um, from a an opinion standpoint and a bar stool standpoint. But it was later in life that I've uh, gotten involved and ran for public office and. Um, so made a lot of changes for me. Well, I I like that. I like the fact that you talk about being a barstool politician. And what really intrigues me, and I think uh, I think what you're doing is a, a an amazing hero's journey. You jumped off that barstool, and can you give me a little bit of background? What prompted you to get off that barstool and get involved in politics? Well, I've been, you know, as as I said, you know, I'm a barstool politician for a long time, uh, except I was one of the barstool politicians who actually voted. Um, <laughs> I uh, I marched, I protested, I had uh, many issues uh, over the years. And I've had a long, you know, a very journey in my life. I grew up in the Midwest. Um, I, I did uh, graduate school in Alabama in the arts. I moved to New York to make my fame and fortune as an actor. And and many other things uh, involved in the arts. And over the course of that time, you know, we get to you know, fast forward 
protesting about the war in Iraq, about the Bush Gore um, uh, election cycle, about all of those things, and and you know continuing my own personal journey and studies of uh, of society and politics and all of those things, we get to 2016 election cycle, and I lost my mind. Um, Trump sent me over the edge. I was, I have never been so appalled during that cycle that a man who had that level of insincerity, uh, the crass and the absolute malignant narcissistic view of the world could possibly become president of the United States and captain a constitution that I love. Mm-hmm. And it was it, it was amazing to me. And, and for years, I, I've listened to a, a talk radio uh, host uh, is very progressive and I've read his books and I love him. Tom Hartman. I think oh, yeah. you and I have talked about about uh, 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 Mr. Hartman's work. And, and, you know, he used to sign off his show. And I believe he still does where he says um, uh, politics is not a spectator sport. Tag, you're it. Right. And. In 2016, that resonated with me in a way that I went, I got to get off the off the bar stool, so to speak. So mm-hmm. I found my way to, I, at this point, I'm living in Norwalk, Connecticut, um, uh, married, nice house. I have a son who's in school, who's a, a special needs child, and I'd gotten involved in a lot of the educational stuff. And this seemed suddenly, you know, making this move into going to the the Democratic town meetings, getting involved in my local district, uh, District A here, um, being elected to the Democratic town committee as a voting member. And that slow process of, you know, uh, getting involved and starting to become, you know, as the kids like to say today, woke uh, to to what's really happening and how how it works, how laws are made and how it's created. And the bottom line, you know, the the Democratic Town Committees, their job is to find candidates and run them on a local level. And then moving to, you know, if you have a county structure uh, government, moving to county, bringing people into that forum and then into the state and eventually looking at and supporting and doing the, the work to get those candidates elected. Well, um, I wanna... And that's what those committees are. And so for me, uh-huh. to, to finish the story, the, the, in 2019, an opportunity came up for me to run for town council. And I said yes. And I went into my first campaign as a candidate, learned how to really you know knock doors and canvas and make the phone calls and raise the money and all of those things and uh, got elected to town council as one of the district representatives for my district here so what is your proper title i'm i'm looking at your uh, uh one of one of the things you used to run on which was a coffee mug with your face on it <laughs> i'm drinking from that um but what is the proper uh title there uh, is it town councilor or councilor We're- uh, we're, we say council person. Okay. Um, we're, our charter was originally written in um, par- parts of it, I think, from like 1918. And then I think the final uh, parts of it are 1926. Okay. And sadly, it's very gender or uh, uh, it's not gender neutral. It's very gender specific. Okay. And a lot of he's and, and that in there. And so sure. we're trying to change that because we have a number of, of women uh, on our council who are fantastic. We have some great women leaders in our town. And 
we're trying to make the move to make things more gender neutral. So we try to say council person, chairperson. Now the problem is, is, you know, those of us old farts like me, sometimes it, it councilman comes out of your mouth and sure. you, you know, it, you're forgiven most of the time, but we're trying to make those changes. So we like to say council person. Okay. I want the listeners to uh, understand that you started out, like you said, you were, you, you went, uh, uh, down to Alabama, you got a uh, 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 an MFA, correct? Yeah, I got a, ma- a Master of Fine Arts in um, Shakespearean acting. Okay, so. and I think that's interesting because you wouldn't be the first politician that came from a life of of performance, so to speak. The interesting thing I think, uh, knowing about your background, was when you were when everything started kind of hitting the fan. You are working again, still in in a facet of the arts, but at this point, a little more of an industrial kind of end of things, and it didn't go well for you. And can you just well, the, the yeah, the journey, my career journey was, you know, I was an actor in New York. I did a lot of regional theater uh, and a few off Broadway plays and a couple little, you know, spots here and there on TV and and film. But it it was. Uh, you don't it's it it's a it's a beautiful industry it can be a lot of fun but the money that's made is made by a very small percentage and you hit a point in your life where you say is there anything else that i love to do and the truth of the matter is is that i i did i worked a lot in backstage and technical theater and so i got involved uh in a number of scenic studios uh i opened my own with a friend of mine um actually two friends two partners um and we did a fair amount of work, fair amount of business, and I still acted during that period of time. But sadly, in the Great Recession, 2008-2009, um, we had to shutter that company. It was just, um, uh, you know, to, we got hammered. We were a young, small company, not very well capitalized, and we just couldn't withstand the hit that the industry took at that time. So fast forward to 2020, uh, I was working as a the um, uh, director of operations for a video production company doing sort of high-end event style video and we were, we were doing very well company had a lot of business it was growing and things forward uh, great stuff on the horizon and we did a lot of work with the new york fashion week mm-hmm. and during fashion week we started to hear you know we're we're busy pushing shows out the door of the of the the warehouse i've got a warehouse staff working with me we're you know we're putting stuff on trucks taking stuff off trucks reshifting gear getting it ready to go out to the next show we're not really paying attention to the world around us uh, because it was a very busy time those are 18 18 hour days and we started to hear about this virus and this thing going on and you know it was us oh, this thing out of china and then we had a couple of um, a Chinese company and another company that canceled some shows that were going to happen right after Fashion Week. This is early February of, of last year, 2020. And we get to uh, March. And the, the crazy thing is, is the company at that point, we had signed a lease on a new space. We were in the middle of moving uh, to a larger operation. So I'm in the midst of getting everything moved. And suddenly we're canceling shows right and left that we're all through the spring we're canceling a show and then another show and then another show literally within i think it was two weeks uh we lost close to four and a 
half million dollars worth of business for the year. And wow. it was it was a eye opening, frightening period of time. And the my staff on the operation side, we put our heads down. We got the company moved into the new space. We got everything done, cleaned out of the old space into the new space. Uh, phones turned on, stuff like that. And then uh, the uh, owners uh, sat us down. We had a long conversation and they said, uh, take next week off. We got to figure out what's going on. We have no work. And it was it was at the end of that week. It was we all were on a Zoom call. <laughs> That's how we do things now. Right. right. Uh, we were on a Zoom call and it was it was, hey, guys, here's where we're at. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't have any prospects for the next two months. So we're furloughing everybody. So we all went on furlough. And uh, over the course of it was into June, they started to bring a few people back because they're the, from video side. They do engineering work. Mm-hmm. They were able to start to get into the video production world of, you know, all the Zoom stuff that was going on in the meeting world. And they set up little some little studios and in the new space and they were uh, they're going after that sector of the marketplace. And for my position in the warehouse positions, we it wasn't needed. We don't need to move gear around. They're large, as you well know, um, events and shows and venues were all closed. Yeah. And it was a it was a door slam a time for me to become do a lot of self-inspection and self-discovery. I started helping a, a, a local uh, charity that was doing uh, food delivery. It was trying to help other people. And then also as councilmen uh, attending meetings, we were involved in a lot of different things, trying to figure out what's going to happen and what's going to be next for the city because the, the city government didn't stop. And our positions uh, and the council here were, uh, you know, ultimately we're volunteers. We're not. We're paid a very, very small stipend, fifty dollars a month. So, mm-hmm. no. But we're, you know, in meetings and on phone calls and talking to constituents and trying to help people when they when they call us up. And we've experienced a lot of the same things that that the country is experiencing. We are dealing with, um, you know, food banks and potential food shortages and people who are in situations of great food insecurity and trying to help them. We have the issues, the same issues here that everybody's struggling with of uh, rent, the people who are renters right now and landlords who are trying, you know, make it happen, uh, get uh, uh, get their money as well and not want to throw people out, but they've got to get paid too, you know, so it, it's, it's a frustrating thing. I mean, we have the moratoriums that came out from the CDC on the federal level that the, our state of Connecticut has uh, expanded on, but eventually those moratoriums are going to go away and people still need to pay their rent and people still need to have a roof over their head and so those two things are are butting together and um, you know we have a lot of a lot of things that we need to solve anyway the the for me the journey was all of that led me to a place where i said i think it's time to make a change in my life try to figure out what it is that i that i want to do for the next 20 30 years just going to take a little break here and just say if you're if you're tuning in which hopefully you are uh but if you were tuning in right now, I'm talking to Councilperson David Huvelman of Norwalk, Connecticut, who has an amazing story about transformation in his life that's happened 
not only with the background of COVID, but the background of probably, uh, I would say, last 10 to 15 years with just the way politics has changed on a national stage. We're going to take just a little break here. Going to play a song off the new album, and uh, we're going to be right back with Strung Out. When they lowered the door, you splashed all the shore. You knew they were waiting for you. What went through your mind? What thoughts did you find? As above you, the bullets flew. All the great words that you have heard that once sounded so grand were cloudy with doubt through the screams and the shouts as you pressed your face to the sand. Still, if not you, then you wondered who would be there to take your place. And deep in your heart, you did.
Want to keep up on all things Marty? Visit our webpage at martinmccormack.com and see Marty's art, his podcasts, The Mr. Marty Show, and soon-to-be-published book at martinmccormack.com. And we're back. You <laughs> See how that goes? So you're listening to Strung Out, Martin McCormack here with uh, David Huvelman. Dave, I, I just want to get back to something that you, you had touched on very early that I had forgotten in your past, which I, uh, and that was the recession under George uh, W. Bush of uh, 2008-2009, basically went a little longer than that once uh, President Obama got in. He was left with a mess on his hands. Oh how, yeah, he was left with a big mess, but he handled it very well. How did that? How did that? Losing a business is probably one of the best educations a person can get to understand misery on on a lot of different levels. How did that affect your move into politics as well? Well, you know, it's interesting. It, <laughs> The effect that it had on my move into politics was more, it made me hyper aware of the realities of, of what it is to have to, 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 to fire someone um, and not firing someone for cause, not because there's an issue with, a, with work product or a, a you know, a behavior within a workplace and you have to let people go. I've worked for companies where I've had to do that um, over the years. It was having to let, you know, the three full-time employees that we had at the time that we had, we just had looked at the money and we were like, we're tapped out. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had nowhere else to go. We had no, you know, we had exhausted every avenue. We were a small company. We were undercapitalized. And because of the recession that was there, there was no money to be borrowed. Um, It was that letting go of, of those guys, you know, saying, I'm really sorry, but we just, can't do it anymore and we also had about probably 60 freelancers that would work for us carpenters and um scenic artists and fabric people metal workers you know and we had to you know just we they were calling everybody was desperate for work at that time and so they were calling and it's like we don't have anything and it 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 wakes you up to the reality that for me my wife was working we had some resources so it wasn't we weren't in a dire situation but others could be and were and it it made me aware of that and it woke me up to that that part of the social safety net that is frankly missing and that is has been magnified by the current crisis we look at when we look at at the covid crisis in this country that the, the reality that we we don't really have the supports that we need to have for people and we don't view those supports in the same way as other countries uh, around the world do you know it's one thing to say absolutely we need to shut it all down to mitigate the public health crisis that is in front of us so the mask wearing close the businesses but we have to then say to the businesses we're going to take care of you mm-hmm. the restaurants we're going to take care of you we're going to make sure that you have something so that when this is over, we can come back to that. And the evidence that exists here with the amount of disease that we have now in the country and the amount of death that we have had, in my opinion, we went about it all wrong. 
Mm-hmm. And and that comes from the top. And it's one of the reasons that in 2016 that I got into politics uh, in the first place was because of the leadership in Washington at the top. I was so incensed by it that I was like, I'm just, I, it was time to get involved. Politics is local. And at a local level, I think we can do more for our citizenry at a local level than we can on a national level because national politics gets so mired in other things. Right. I want to point you toward that right now because I think what's interesting is all the uh, acrimony that you see on the national level plays out even probably more amplified on a local level. Would you agree or disagree? Well, yeah. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And yet I would also I would also qualify that agreement. Local politics is very interesting because local politics is about where we live right now in the immediate. And what do we need right now? And the things that sometimes that we need are we need, you know, the beach passes and we need to make sure that our garbage is being collected. Hey, that sidewalk needs to be repaired. Those become the, the more important thrusts, we, we, we don't think necessarily about how do we feed the poor, mm-hmm. that, you know, to, to sort of look at those extremes that exist. So right. I just think that there's there are differences uh, to it. I think that, though, that from what I was saying before is that we have the ability to affect change on a local level in a way that is and I always like to say this, that it's incremental because mm-hmm. no change happens overnight. Everything is incremental. And if we can start at a local level, changing those thoughts, changing that ideology, it moves up to the state or county, the state level, and eventually, hopefully up to a federal level. So um, to the people that are leaning to the right, let's say, uh, avowed Republicans or what, what have you, when it comes to stuff like fixing the sidewalk, are you in common agreement or is there does it come down to the idea of like, yeah, we're going to fix that sidewalk by, you know, finding X bitter. I'm, you know, I'm just curious if it percolates down to your level. Well, it percolates down from the standpoint of of in all honesty, the majority of the I'm a, I'm a progressive Democrat and I don't hide that. But the, the majority of the, the Republicans that I know in town and the Right now, we're we're a Democratic council. Um, we have 15 seats on the council. We have 14 Democrats and one Republican. And the the Republican that's on our on our council is a fantastic guy and very reasonable. And and we have great discussions about things. You know, you know this, Marty, having known me uh, from when we were younger. My mother was a was a devout Republican, very very conservative Republican, and yet. She was fiscally a conservative Republican. She was a little more uh, socially liberal. And it was interesting. We would still we would have absolute battles uh, in in our house growing up about policy. Mm -hmm. What what I see on a local level is we talk about policy in a better way. Uh, And what I mean by that is that we. We talk about policy in the sense of like, yes, the sidewalk needs to be repaired. There are those who would just say, well, let's just throw money at it. And then there are those who say, well, wait a minute, let's see where the money comes from and how do we do this? And does pairing of the sidewalk 
tendency can be that it's like, well, if we're going to repair that sidewalk, let's repair all the sidewalks. And then a more conservative viewpoint may be, well, wait a minute, we have to figure out a schedule of how to repair the sidewalks or do we do this? We Those types of things, though, I think that we're in agreement that the sidewalk needs to be repaired because we all want our kids to walk on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. We want we want our parents, our elderly parents to have safe sidewalks to walk on the on down the street and go to the store. I think those are important things. And I think there's actually on a local level, there's more commonality than exists as we get up into the state and the federal government. We become so polarized at a federal level that we we've stopped listening to each other. I'm I'm kind of intrigued by um the uh, congressman from Pennsylvania, Connor Lamb, mm-hmm. who has, you know, is what he said the other night, um, you know, on the floor of the House during the votes that were going on. And gentleman from your state, um, uh, Kissinger, Kinsinger, yeah, Kinsinger, yeah, yeah, Adam Kinsinger, um, yeah, sixteenth. But that the idea that these guys are trying, these guys are really trying to, you know, reach more across the aisle again, right? And, we lost that. We've lost that for a long time, and we've lost it locally and and on a, a larger level as well. So it, it's 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 interesting. It, we could go on for hours about the rights or the wrongs. For me, I you know my feeling is we should fix all the sidewalks because that's important. Because right. I feel that we don't we don't promote enough possibility within our communities to walk places. We've become too much of a car culture, which adds too much you know, exhaust into our air, which ultimately is an environmental issue. We don't we don't do enough for people who want to bike places. We don't create areas within our cities, within our urban centers that are walk friendly, what I like to call live, um, live, work, recreate areas so that you can Live in a in a, a a nice apartment in an area that you can also walk to a grocery store, walk to movie theaters, walk to places. You don't need that car all the time, right? Um, and so I I look at things from that standpoint. Whereas a you know conservative counterpart of mine might think, no, we got to look at repairing only this part of the sidewalk, and do we really need bike paths? Okay, you know that type of thing. And so it, it's just yeah. a difference of, of view. That's all. Well. Folks, we're listening to uh, David Huvelman. He's uh, a council person for the city of Norwalk, Connecticut, a longtime friend of mine, but I think an excellent example of of a person remaking their life uh, with the background of COVID-19 and uh, some of the most tumultuous politics ever in the history of the United States. We're going to take another break here, and we're going to come back with more uh, talking about politics on the local level but also with an eye toward the national level as well. So uh, i going to throw a song in, and you are listening to Strung Out. Want to keep up on all things Marty? Visit our webpage at martinmccormack.com and see Marty's art, his podcasts, The Mr. Marty Show, and soon-to-be-published book, martinmccormack.com. Liberty Freedom Such a 
David Huvelman, who is a council person for the city of Norwalk, Connecticut. And Dave is, we're talking about uh, just the power of local politics and how working locally can transform our our country. Dave, you recently uh, put in applications, you got accepted to various law schools now, and you're pursuing a law degree. And I know that there's a lot of politicians that uh, have gone to law school, are lawyers and such. And why did you feel that you needed to do that? Is it just to give you a little more of a background? Can you tell me? Well, it's it's interesting. You know, the when we were talking earlier in the last segment, Marty, about the um, you know sort of the journey and with COVID that 
when the realization was that I didn't have a job to go back to, and I have a son in school who is special needs. My wife is, works in the landscape industry, which was going gangbusters. They're working all the time. But it was like, okay, what am I going to do? We also have my uh, father who's 84 and lives with us. So we were very concerned about COVID and about exposure and all these things. And it was like, okay, so our decision was that Dominic, um, our son, would start the year as a remote learner. Well, then it was like, well, somebody is going to need to be home and help him with that journey. And so, you know, we're sort of navigating that world as well as the world of I have no job and have looked around to try to find work that would dovetail with my ability to be at home, but also the security of I'm a little older, I have some health issues as well. And frankly, COVID scares the bejesus out of me. Um, uh, because of that, uh, the, the you know my own personal um, health conditions. So oh, COVID scares the bejesus out of you. So yeah, scare, COVID scares me. I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kid you. Um, it does. And the again, then also looking at everything that was happening around us and in our community uh, here with food insecurity and housing uh, insecurity and the elderly people, you know. Um, our citizens who, you know, that were used to having assistance that couldn't get assistance anymore because people weren't coming into the homes to help. And the, these types of things that you become very concerned with. Couple that with my son, as I, I mentioned, has, um, uh, is a special needs student. And so I had become very involved in advocacy for uh, him and for other kids as well. And a, and a couple of organizations that are parent to parent peer groups uh, dealing with education. And I started sort of going back and forth in my head about, well, look, this is an opportunity. What do I want to do next in mm -hmm. my life? Uh, because the events industry is not going to come back it's going to be one of the last industries that comes back. And that's where I've been working for the last 10, 15 years in my life, uh, working for different uh, events companies, um, which is the video company I was working for uh, at the last was the same thing. Then you know, so that industry isn't going to come back. And it's not an industry that was something that was giving me great pleasure anymore. Right. You, know, you sit back and you go, well, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm changing, I'm growing, I'm evolving. And I just want to and, jump in real quick and just for our listeners think about the arts basically as uh, performance and uh, they don't understand what a broad sweeping part of the uh, economy is all tied up in it and I think that's one of the fascinating things about you is that you you got into the really the nuts and bolts part of the arts our country has always been really kind of uh, dismissive of the arts um, not giving the funding, not giving the support. Somebody like you could have been supported. You weren't. And it's a huge chunk of uh, economic engine that uh, has died on the vine. But um, yeah, I Oh, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you, uh, Martin. It's, it's, yeah, yes, it's died on the vine. Um, I always go back when, you know, I have taught uh a few times in my um, career and I would teach um, introduction to stagecraft. And, uh -huh. you know, you have these, you have kids who are thinking about going into a, a theater design career, which I had done a theater design technical direction. Um, and my theater design and 
technical direction degree and the work that I did in that, the majority of work that I did was in the events industry with it. It was putting up shows and tents uh, for big parties. Um, that's where the where there's a lot. It was doing big corporate events. You know the you know the big um, you know the rollout of the new product uh, type event. Those are the things that. All the people that work backstage at that, that's they're all, you know, people who probably wanted to have careers designing for the theater or those types of things. But that those are those there are limited jobs there, but there are many other jobs within the arts. The arts touches a huge sector of our uh, career paths. So anyway, that was all. And and so, you know, that being gone, um, you with a lot of concerns, you you thought getting a law degree would help you accomplish what? Well, one of the things in getting in, being elected to the Common Council and sitting on different committees, um, for me, the realization was one of the committees that I uh, really like, that's uh, the, one of the committees that I'm on, is the Ordinance Committee. And we're responsible for making the ordinances and the rules and the laws or refining them or fixing them. And I found that I really enjoy that work. Um, I enjoy the research that goes into it. I enjoy that. I also enjoy public advocacy for people who need to have their voices represented. Mm -hmm. And having, in all honesty, if COVID hadn't hit, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be making the change in my life. I might change a job. I might be at a, you know, work for a different company or make a move. But because of COVID and because I was suddenly, you know, uh, sitting here faced with taking stock, so to speak, I went, what do I want to do for the next part of my career? And I thought, well, you know what I want to try to do? I want to do something that I thought I would have done years ago and had entertained on numerous times. So I want to go to law school. So I started down that path and I'm, I've taken my uh, the LSAT exam and I put in applications to some some schools and I've uh, been accepted to a couple of places and now I'm just trying to figure out where I'm going to go and how I'm going to pay for it. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, um, that's a good luck. Good luck with that. But I look too. at it as I think it, it, you know I I enjoy working in on the public side, the public sector side, and working in government. I'm enjoying it, and I feel that having a JD degree will make me stronger if I go further in my political career, but also if I go further when I go further in my advocacy work. I think a legal uh, degree and hopefully passing the bar will be will be a plus. So, and I'm excited. It's a it's a big change, but you know we're trying to figure out. My wife and I are figure, figuring out how to make all this happen while we're you know raising our son and um, living our lives. As as you know, you know, as a musician, that it's been a, a, a time of great reflection for all of us. Well. I want to I want to jump back, Dave. Uh, there are going to be people that are are listening to you, and uh, you sound confident. You've got a, a course of direction. If you had to give a, a thirty second elevator pitch on jumping into local politics, what would that pitch be? Simply, I would say that you go you you find out where your local precinct is, your local district is, and go to a meeting. And if, because if you want change, if you talk about change and you want better roads or you want better things in your community, 
the place to make that happen is within within the government. Now, whether you actually run for public office or not, at least you go into the side of it where you are able to bring your voice to those people, your elected officials. Um, I talk to constituents all the time. And when I talk to constituents, their concerns are usually about a specific thing that impacts them specifically. And that's important. And, and you know, I need to listen to that. And if I can find the right channel to help them, I, I, we work on finding that channel. What I would say to people is get involved. Get involved. I spent a lot of time not being involved in my life. I criticized things. I read things and, you know, howled at the moon. Finally, by turning around and getting involved, I'm able to, I'm affecting change within my corner of the world. And that feels good. It feels positive. And that's why I'm doing it. Other people have other motivations. I mean, and I won't there are people that do it because of ego. There are people that do it because it's the it's the only thing that they had ever been involved in. They come from a very you know a, a political um, governmental family. There are people that do it for many reasons. For me, my reason was I want to make some changes and I want to help be a part of that change. If you feel that way, find your local you know Republican or Democratic group and get involved. That's what that's what I would say. Well, that's was that 30 a, seconds? I think it was more like a minute 30. Yeah, you really are a politician. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a little pause here. Uh, you're listening to Strung Out. And when we come back on the other side, I want to talk about people recently that have been emboldened to make a change to local people. And that is, uh, for the final part of the show, the people that stormed the Capitol. I just want to switch gears and your perspective on that, uh, and uh, let's just uh, take a little break, and we're gonna we're gonna come back. Uh, All right, talking about the national scene. All right, you're listening to Strung Out. There's a way to let Martin know that you appreciate the show. Click on martinmccormack.com and go to the donate link. Your financial gift of love will keep the show rolling. MartinMcCormack.com is the place to visit to see and purchase Marty's artworks, writings, podcast, and show. It's easy to remember and to share with friends. Just remember MartinMcCormack.com. That's MartinMcCormack.com. Okay, we're back, and I have with me uh, David Huvelman. Uh, he's a, a council person for the city of Norwalk, Connecticut. I've known him for about 45 years, um, and... I've just been amazed by your transformation, and I think it's a, you're just a great example of somebody that didn't lie down and just let COVID walk all over him. It didn't lie down and let uh, uh, the kind of politics that we've seen on a national level walk all over him. I wanted to just get your perspective, since you are a politician, that you are uh, in local politics, you are making your way. First of all, uh, my first question is, do you think Ted Cruz ever sat on a city council? You know, I don't know. Um, uh, I spend so little time thinking about Ted Cruz for various reasons um, <laughs> that uh, uh, it doesn't it doesn't really um, uh, come up. He may have. A lot of people have. Um, people don't generally jump into this at the uh, at the highest level. So I 
think I thought he held state office at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I don't know his I don't know his journey. I mean, somebody um, like President Obama, uh, well, com- community uh, activist, he, right? Community activist, uh, you know, an attorney uh, who got into um, uh, community organize, organizing uh, activism um, and, you know, was made a nod to run for uh, Senate. You know, the, I mean, his first big introduction to the to the stage was the his speech at the two th- it was the 2000 election, I believe. Right. Mm hmm. Yes. Yeah, it was the uh, the the, um, the convention, the Democratic convention, and was suddenly like, "Who is this guy? This guy's right. amazing!" And you know, uh, or the it was the 2004. It was a 2004 cycle, and uh, you know, in 2008, he's president of the United States. It was yeah, pretty that, impressive. That, um, that has to be one of those "Where were you?" speeches. Um, yeah. When I, I remember him making that, and I was like, "Oh my God!" You know, I didn't know I didn't know him at all. And uh, just an amazing uh, rise. But I think what's important is uh, just that his his background started out on a community level. And uh, you can take it as far as you can. Now, our current president started out uh, a totally different path. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he definitely came from, I wouldn't say, uh, I think the entertainment end of things was kind of an anomaly. Here we are. And you saw all those people storming the Capitol. They, they, uh, basically, what the way they struck me was a lot of uh, white, lower, middle class income. Uh, if I was going to paint with a broad brush, um, that's a pretty broad brush. Yeah, I would say I would say you're in the you're in the wheelhouse on that one. Um, but that's not. But they're not the only. That's not the only sector that's that has been pulled down that rabbit hole um it's a it's a part of it but it's a part of our society that feels like they've been left behind right and i think that's that's a that's a key to this you know there are people that feel that they've been left behind and i and i think that it's incumbent upon the the democratic party to make sure that we're not that we're not leaving every anyone behind Uh, the you know, we get accused of being, you know, especially where I come from, we're, you know, the North Northern elites or the Northeast elites, you know, the, you know, Hey, we're, you know, it's well, Democrats are just bi-coastal. They don't care about the middle of the country. And, you know, they don't, they don't pay attention to the policies there. And the truth of the matter is, is there are policies that need to be adjusted for different, for different regions within our, within our country because of, because of our demographics and because of our geographics and and differences and we have to think about those things when crafting law you know how it affects there are things that affect the northeast differently than affect the 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 midwest that affect the south and and it's a reality and and it's something that i think we've we've forgotten Uh in the last 50 years because of the polarization that has happened within this within our our uh, uh, political arena so do you feel that uh, the local level is the place to smash that indifference? Well, you th- you know you would think it is. It's it 
we tend to because we live in the same community with each other. And Norwalk is a, is a small city. We're 90,000 people. So, you know, you don't know everybody. Whereas the town that I grew up in in northern Illinois was 1,200 people. I think it's now 1,800. Um, you know, you knew everybody. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit different. And when you go from knowing everybody to knowing most people to not knowing everybody at all and only knowing the people that you interact with there's there's a difference and as we as we move along the even with a small city though like norwalk i think that that we have to remember that we all ultimately want what's best for our communities and we want what's best for our children and we want what's best for our seniors and we have to then work towards finding what that is. And the thing that has been lost for me from the national stage, which I see happen on the local stage, is compromise. Uh We look at things and we say, well, you know, that's not, you know, yeah, that would be great to do it that way. But I think that we got to look at it this way. Mm-hmm. Because we have a sector, we have we have a really strong part of our of our population that just doesn't want that. So how can we serve them and serve the other sector and yet come to consensus. And we've lost this ability on the big stage to find consensus. I think that that is still happening on the smaller stage. Now, there are those that will argue in Norwalk, Connecticut's politics that it's there is no consensus because you have 14 Democrats and one Republican on the on the common council and the mayor is a um, uh, is a Democrat. So, you know, mm-hmm. they they talk about one party rule and there I haven't noticed truth to that here that 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 other voices are not heard. I think a lot of voices are heard. We one of the things that I learned early on in the city politics is the fact that we, you know, we have public comment at our meetings and we have agenda items on our agenda and it's posted publicly and people come to our meetings and speak about the items on the agenda. People call us up, they call our our, you know, their representatives and say, "Hey, can we you know, I'm, you know, this bothers me. Can we change that? And, you know, I get letters every day from people, uh, emails from people all the time about certain items. Some of them are emails that are written by that person. Some of them are emails that frankly are form emails. I've gotten, you know, 25 of them with the names different, but the body of the email is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still is valid. It's still a valid, you know, uh, it's a constituent raising a concern. Well, you know, you bring up, uh, I love that idea uh, that, where you just left off about the uh, form letter, because on a national level, it seems that media has really played uh, a role in in what we have seen develop over the Trump administration. Um, I rail against it quite a bit um, myself, because uh, as a Republican representative, Adam Kissinger called it uh, outrage for profit. Uh, do you? It's a, it's a really good. I, I, I remember that, and, and that's a really, I think, a really valid, really good phrase. Yeah, I, I think uh, the presence of the current media state right now. What kind of support do you get locally from your media, if any? Well, we don't from a. On a state level, we we get a fair amount of support. We have a local newspaper, but it's a um, uh, 
it's owned by the Hearst Media Corporation. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not, it's, it, it is Norwalk's paper with reporters that work for Norwalk, but it is the parent, you know, the parent company is from somewhere else. And that's happened to a lot to media across the nation. A lot of the smaller cities and towns, newspapers couldn't get by and they were bought up by larger, um, uh, uh, conglomerates and that right. and you know so we get a fair amount of news through that we have a couple of local um you know uh online newsletter type things that you can get news from from that place but yeah i mean media i mean uh, it's a tough one marty the the i, I sort of agree with the uh, representative kissinger's um uh the outrage for profit thing. I think that Trump would not have been elected had the media not wet themselves and fell all over themselves to give him as much airtime as they did because he was such a crazy inflammatory candidate that everybody was like, wow, look at that. Um, we've had cycles, election cycles here where we've had some people sort of try that, uh, uh, approach on a local level and it, it hasn't worked. Um, you know, the, trying to fan the, the flames of, um, of the, you know, people who feel that they've been, um, disenfranchised or people who feel that, you know, that their voice isn't being heard and, you know, it, I think our election cycles have withstood that, but we haven't had that on that level. We don't have that many media outlets that are local to us, you mm-hmm. know, because we're a, we're a small city. I mean, New York, whole different ball game. you know, so how, Philadelphia, those are big cities. So how do you communicate with your constituents? Um... I do, uh, I do a lot of social media. I have a lot of people that do, um, that are on social media. We, do a number of us on the council do that and you know we post things we try to most of it it becomes informational i mean uh i post stuff about you know uh, notices that come out of the city or things that that i think constituents might be interested in Uh um post on facebook um try to get around and try to talk to people um i go through my local district a uh, because i'm still a part of the the district a uh, democratic politics to go to all the meetings we discuss things there and you know we we put our names up there and say contact me Um, well that's sort of how it's done on on this level and you know you move around and move through the city as much as possible the the problem right now with covid is nobody moves around that much right so (laughs) well you know we're not going to gatherings and doing those things in the in the time we have remaining david i i just want to uh uh Get your take on a couple things on the national level, your thoughts, um, the future of the Republican Party. Can you give me a couple minutes uh, just expounding? I tell you what, if you want to talk about what happened on Wednesday, I I was in shock all day. I lived in Washington, D.C. in 2004, just after I got married. And um, I was an actor at that time. I was working for the um, Shakespeare Theater. And I fell in love with that city, partly because I think it's a kind of cool, older city, but also because of what it is. It's the capital of our country. It's, you know, to walk into the the archives and see the, the, the Constitution and see the Declaration of Independence and 
walk through the Smithsonian and then walk up and walk to the to the Capitol. And I, I lived on Capitol Hill, so I would ride my bicycle from uh, where the Shakespeare Theater was downtown um, up. You know, I would ride it back and forth to to work. And at night, we after a show, 10 o'clock at night, I'd ride my bike and I would ride up past the Capitol on the, the north, uh, was it north, yeah, the north side of the Capitol. And it, I loved it. It was amazing. It's an amazing place. And to see those pictures and see that happen and see that happen because of ego. Because somebody has has duped people is sad to me and it was painful to me. And I don't know that. I mean, the Republican Party is going to go on. Yeah. I mean, but are they going to be what they were? I don't know. The Whigs were destroyed. Uh, uh you know, in the 18, 1800s, are the Republicans going to go away? I don't know. If people like Representative um, Kissinger and uh, Connor Lamb and some of these other sort of moderate uh, Democrats and moderate Republicans, if they get together, can they form another party? Um, I don't know. Um, it's it's a it's a real it's a real conundrum. Uh, uh, and I don't know if it's going to survive. I really don't. What do you think is going to uh, just make a prediction um, this time next week? Where's Trump? Well, you know, if I had it my way, uh, he'd be removed from office. Um, this time next week, he would be a, a, a starting his way down the road of an afterthought. I would personally like it if the Congress of the United States would impeach him and remove him from office because then he can't run again. Mm-hmm. And and to get that out of our discourse would be a positive thing. I don't know if that, you know, that's my personal fantasy. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm dubious that it will because the sad thing that seems to happen is that, you know, no matter how much things change, uh, change everything stays the same and my fear is that we're going to have to listen to that for a while the thing that i find sad is that he's taken ideology to people who don't realize that he doesn't have their best interests in mind Mm -hmm. and that's what that's what scares me more than anything and what hurts i think um, to what? see to see that happen mm-hmm. is horrible. Yeah, I I agree with you, and I just want to quickly interject because uh, uh, the twenty fifth amendment has been talked about so much. But wouldn't it be giving him a get out of jail free card if we say he's mentally incapable of running the presidency? Couldn't he use uh, mental incompetence or uh, insanity to some degree for any kind of plea? Once he gets uh, becomes a civilian again, it's a possibility to be able to to work that. I mean, I'm sure that um, uh, uh, that he would try if he could possibly do that. I don't know. I don't think the 25th is the answer. I think impeachment is the answer. Do it rapidly and quickly. But you know, can you get to 67 votes in the Congress? Um, doubtful. So or in the Senate. So, but it, it's a it's it. it First of all, they're not going to get the 25th because I don't think Pence, I think Pence is not going to um, uh, Vice President Pence will go along with it. So it's a it's a tough it's a tough situation. I mean, the the tougher situation is is the screaming that's now going on 
the parsing of language uh, from that movement, um, this sort of uh, uh, Trump movement that now they're saying because of the video, I guess, that he put out uh, that, you know, basically said, you know, uh, I'm going to I'm going to have the orderly transfer of power and all these things. They're they're parsing it to try to keep the keep the the fight alive so to speak mm-hmm. and that's what scares me is you know the, i think we've i think the genie's out of the bottle here and i don't know that we can that we're going to be able to put it back very quickly well that's all the time that we have today and i want to thank david Hubelman, council person from norah connecticut from uh for being on the show and i want to thank you for listening You've been listening to Strung Out. Bye-bye.